Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. Um, look, obviously we're going to talk, uh, not obvious, but we're going to talk about the NFL draft. Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. I caught up with him this morning. I'm talking to you guys on Monday morning. We'll get to that. We'll talk about all the things you want to discuss, the 11th pick. Um, what does the top 10 look like? Some some day two, day three prospects to consider all that stuff. Uh, obviously, the news of the moment is the, the, the tragic passing of Dwayne Haskins. Um, they're not passing. He died in a, in a tragic car accident, um, hit by a vehicle while walking on a highway in Florida. Uh, the details from the accident, I and others reported about them the other day, information provided by the Florida Highway Patrol were still um, vague and uncertain, but it doesn't change what the reality is. And that is that a 24-year-old uh, is no longer with us uh, who had a promising future just as a person. Uh, forget the, all the quarterback stuff, uh, whatever happened here, that none of that matters. Uh, it is an incredibly sad time. And, I, and, you know, definitely my heart goes out to his family, to his friends, his teammates, his coaches here in Washington at Ohio State. Um, had a chance to, to, to text with some people over the weekend. And um, we're going to talk about that here. Um, my friend Brian McNally with NBC Sports Washington, who covered um, Dwayne, his, his rookie year, and is obviously, as many of you know, Brian, uh, he's been around um, these parts for a long time and has a great perspective on not just this team, but, you know, humanity. And I wanted to have somebody to talk to me. So Brian and I will talk, we talked as well at some length about, about this loss, about Dwayne. We, yes, we touched on his time here, but not in any truly you know not not in any critical way but it is part of the story of of who he is as a person and just his his journey through life how incredibly short it, it, it was unfortunately um and we also get into a little bit about the reaction the the initial adam schefter tweet and the reaction to that tweet um how that what was inappropriate there with that tweet but also how we all need to maybe be a little bit, take a little bit of that extra time to consider what we're going to say before we say it. So all that will be coming up here in just a few moments on the Standard Room Only podcast. You can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or over on the Athletic app, where if you uh, did not do so yet, I have a, a subscribers-only first-round full mock draft I posted last week. If you go to the Athletic, uh, click on either the podcast link or if you click on any of my articles, you can go there, sign up, and then you'll see the, uh, the places to find the podcast, and you can listen to it there. And if you are an iTunes person, definitely appreciate you dropping a rating and a review. Only takes a couple of moments, and it really does help a lot. I promise you that. Um, so I will. We will get to the Dwayne Haskins part of this. Um, just a couple quick uh, other notes. Uh, up on the website today, Monday morning, I have a brand new Washington-only seven-round mock draft. Eric and I talk a little bit about that on here, but not at, at great length. And even what we discussed with the first-round scenario, I go into a lot more great depth on the uh, in the article about clues that we have out there with Washington, including one that is going to come into play this week. So you can go check that out over on the athletic and if you want to follow me on twitter um and give me or, or hit me up on twitter with your thoughts i'm at ben standing um i mentioned my guests uh brian mcnally is b mcnally 14 and eric at home is eric underscore e-d-h-o-l 
am. Um, beyond that, you know, look, obviously from just in terms of this team, it's still been pretty quiet. Nothing really has been happening. Um, as we know, they, they lost uh, DeAndre Carter, signed with the Chargers on uh, – was that th- Thursday night, Friday night? I forget whatever night it was. The days are blurring together. Anyway, he goes to the Chargers. Not a ton of money. I think it was been reported about $1.1 million plus incentives. Another example of Washington really just slow playing this offseason. It does seem to me that like they're obviously been willing to have their players test the market, but it does feel like they're just really not looking to spend almost anything. And I, you know, I asked Ron Rivera at the owners meeting, are you being kind of told that you need to be careful with your budget from ownership or, you you know, or what's going on here. And he said, we're just being mindful of the cap. They obviously don't have a ton of cap space, roughly around 6 million um, available when you take out the money that you need for draft picks, not a ton, but at the same point, you're going to have to spend on somebody. And Deandre Carter was a pretty effective returner for them. One of the more effective returners they've had in some time. They They now need that. I don't think that choice will reflect in necessarily what they need to do in the draft certainly not in the first couple rounds but at the same point you added to the list of still needing another linebacker uh, another defensive back an offensive playmaker maybe a guard etc defensive depth at all three levels on defense so still plenty of work to do they have not done too much they've still only signed the two external free agents which only dallas has signed us few at this point in the process i'm talking to you 1048 monday so if something happens after that that's why all right um like i said it's weird to talk about football with when we have dealt with such sad news over the weekend it's really still hard to process that this happened um to a guy that had you know so, so many people clearly uh you know loved and uh you know clearly dwayne haskins will be missed we will talk about him at length uh with brian mcnally but up first, I'll, I'll start with my conversation with Eric Edholm. We just talked a few minutes ago this morning. We'll get to that. Then we'll get to thoughts on Dwayne Haskins. All that and more here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. Uh, joining me here as promised, one of the most prominent NFL draft insiders out there, Eric Edholm with Yahoo. Eric, I appreciate the time. First time we've had a chance to uh, yeah. to talk. Uh, I've always uh, appreciated your work. So thanks so much for the time. Yeah, mine. Uh, I appreciate yours as well, and it's uh, good to finally hook up. And uh, boy, we're we're getting pretty close on this thing, huh? It, we really are. Like I've been you know, a little bit busy covering the team that I cover, and like right. I, 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 you know, I'm not used to usually at this time of year dealing with congressional uh, investigations. So <laughs> the other day, I'm like looking at the calendar, going, "Oh, oh I gotta boy. get, I gotta get moving here uh, yeah. with, with with some of the things." I I have a, a, a Washington only mock draft out today, but that's yep minor stuff this is we're good we're going to talk a lot more broader topics we, i will ask you some specific commander questions as well sure. but as i sort of pointed out in my in my mock draft that okay we know they pick 11 right right in order i could just pick somebody somebody from this top group and say that's who they're gonna that's who they could get should get i don't know how do i prove that like i mean i can't prove any of this thing, but i think it's important to understand what's gonna happen in front of them a little bit before right. we just simply say in a vacuum here's what happens at 11. That said, this is where it's perfect to have someone like you here. I've been doing mock drafts for a minute. This feels yeah. in the top 10 as confusing as I can recall in yep. that usually marrying the player to the to the team. I don't know what the what the, what the normal is that I feel pretty confident about. Mm-hmm. Four to five, maybe some of your six to eight. 
I don't even know. I get past Aiden Hutchinson, who I think is maybe the first pick, and I'm really kind of stuck for a variety yeah. of reasons. I'm curious, what do you think about that sort of marrying marrying up of players to teams in the top ten? Yeah, and you know, I tell people this all the time. You know, obviously, you you, you have to know the players when you're doing these mock drafts, of course, right? But you also have to know the teams and what kind of players they look for. And, you know, I'll get I'll get people write to me, fans of a certain team and say, you know, you took this guy with so and so still on the board. Well, yeah, because so and so doesn't necessarily fit that team. And so, like you said, that's kind of a normal part of the process that we go through as the mock drafters. Like you just you don't just go down your best available list and check them off because that doesn't ever happen that way. And I think that's important, but this year, and I, I think I used this line in one of my recent stories, I was talking to somebody in the league and just sort of asking basically like, you know, have you seen kind of a top 10, 12, even 15 uh, that, that feels like this year. And he's like, yeah, good luck with your mock drafts this year, basically suggesting that, you know, while, while there may not be a flurry of trades, there certainly is going to be a flurry of unexpected picks, I think. And, or at least, one that kind of, you know, is the chain reaction. If you are the, the first domino that, that creates a little bit of a, a twist and, and creates some scenarios that we're maybe not anticipating. So yeah, this is a, it's a weird year. It's not a strong year at the top of the draft. It's just not one of those blue chip like your last year I thought was loaded and, and I think it'll prove to be in time, but yeah, it's going to be a different kind of draft this year. No doubt. Yeah. For, for, for sure. Um, just out of curiosity, so if that that, that fly in the ointment for our mock drafts, if you had to sort of look at somebody right now in the top 10, is there a, either a team or a player that you think is that unknown, that that, that mystery variable right now that we really kind of can't uh, anticipate in, in advance? Yeah, I mean, under the premise that you laid out, which is that both of us think that Hutchinson feels like the pick at this point. And believe me, I've, I've tried to call Jacksonville and yeah, Hey, who are you taking? Right. You know, let's, let's get number one out of the way before we start moving down the ladder. But you know, Detroit at two is certainly a, a pivot point. I mean, we don't really know exactly which way they're going. We've heard some Trayvon Walker buzz. We've heard Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, could they trade down is a quarterback in the mix? I personally don't think so, but but then I would I would guess, assuming the Texans don't really go, you know, sort of out of, you know, off in left field somewhere, that little run of the three New York teams in, in a, in a uh, four-pick span, I think, with a first-year GM controlling two of them, certainly feels that way, with Carolina tucked in the middle, right? I mean, everybody's putting quarterback to them you know, is offensive tackle in play? What do they think of Brady Christensen? You know, there's a lot of questions there. How desperate are they? They don't have second and third round picks. That that four to seven cluster, I think is going to trip some people up, myself included. So, you know, and then you get to eight, nine, Atlanta, uh, Seattle, et cetera. I, I think at that point, they're kind of sweeping up the, I don't say the leftovers, but but assessing what happens. I would guess that's kind of the, the post pivot point, if you will. And they're, and they're wild cards in their own rights. Cause they have a lot of needs and a lot of, you know, it's not exactly clear what direction they go, but if I had to pick a little small range, I would say that somewhere in that, <clears throat> excuse me, four to seven range has to be considered a little bit of a, uh, a black hole of sorts where we can't really quite figure it all out. Right. And you look at some of the prospects in this range, like Kyle Hamilton, I think on your uh, big board, I think he's the number three, 
yep. overall prospect. And a lot of people put him somewhere you know, pretty high up on the board. But when you can factor in the positional value, he tends exactly. to drop down a little bit in mock drafts. Some even maybe point to his, <laughs> uh, his 40 time wasn't thrilling for some people. So what about him? A, a, a guy like Sauce Gardner. I've seen people put him in top five in mock drafts and yep. quarterbacks are very important. But at the same point, are you putting him over these pass rushers, even though a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau's range seems to be anywhere from two to could be on the board at 11. I, he he right. seems to be um, all, all over the place. And then even like the receivers, there is definitely a resurge, a surge in receiver value as, as evidenced by the free, by the offseason market we've dealt with here. Does that mean Garrett Wilson and Drake London both fly off the board, like in not inside the top eight? Right. Maybe, but I don't know. It's a the wide receiver classes class is so deep again. I don't yeah. personally always get why teams would spend such a high pick when you can get receivers later on. So I th- this is why there's it's very hard. Other than Hutchinson, the two offensive tackles, and Walker, I don't know if I feel great about any player being picked in the top ten. I'm not saying yeah. obviously a lot of these guys will, but like I'm like eh, I don't I, I wouldn't bet my life on it other than probably those four. Yeah, I mean I think. Sauce Gardner is going in the top 10. That's my, my gut feeling. And I think there's a decent chance he could go maybe a little bit higher than people expect, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's the group right there. Um, you know, you have some teams that will cross off a Jermaine Johnson for age or Garrett Wilson for size, or, uh, you know, they'll, they'll look at London and have a little bit of suspicion about the pure speed or, you know, the, the, you know, the injury factor or the, the one year wonder, if you will. So there's, there's really a knock on all these guys. I think, it's fascinating to me that the, 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 the two kind of blue chippy talents outside of the pass rushers and maybe the offensive tackles too, for that matter, uh, or I guess, yeah, I would include T- Thibodeau in that mix. So it would be Thibodeau and, and Derek Stingley Jr. You know, in a normal year, it wouldn't be shocking to see players of that ilk laying in the top five. There's a possibility where both don't, right? I mean, I could see, I could see Thibodeau going second. I could also, as you pointed out, see them falling a little bit to nine at Seattle or wherever else. You know, Stingley has uh, a few different questions. I don't think character is a major question after kind of calling around on him. I think that, you know, there was some little, you know, immaturity things and there was a a familial element to it that, that I think had some teams a little bit concerned, but you can work that out with contracts and things like that. I don't, I don't think that part, I think the question was the health of the foot and the fact that we haven't seen great tape on him for two years. So the, the guys that you would assume in a weaker top end of the draft would be up in there aren't, or maybe that or not. So yeah, it really is. I don't want to say it's a morass, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange pool we're wading into here and trying to, you know, connect the right dots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for, for sure. I, I wanted to circle back on something you said, cause I think it's important and it's interesting um, with regards to you trying to assess not just the players, but the teams and what they're looking mm-hmm. to do. And I've always tried to lean on that. Cause I've always admitted, like, I don't have the time slash patience to, just go back and watch tape on all these guys the way this Correct. is what you right. do. So I'm having to watch, you know, I would just watch games and try to look at certain guys for the team I cover, but it's easier to sort of get a sense of the NFL teams. What do they need? Maybe yep. you have a history of what they're looking to do. Who's somebody, what's a, what's a good example for you in the top 10, just to say, or, or maybe even with Washington, if you have one of, of a team where you kind of feel like, okay, I know when they, I kind of have a sense of what they want to do. And I know what type of guys they want to get. And based on that or what they don't want to get, or maybe other mm-hmm. clues. And based on that, I'm kind of looking at this ver- rather than that or, or however you want to kind of frame that. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a good place to start. I mean, Jacksonville obviously is a little tricky. Um, you know, Detroit, we have Brad Holmes and a, and a mostly new scouting staff. We have one draft under their belt. You know, uh, Nick Casario in Houston, the GM, has obviously long Patriot roots, and you can most certainly, you know, they're a team that I feel like is a little bit easier to predict in some respects. Think about what the Patriots did for years. Uh, round one was always there. Well, not always. I guess they took Lawrence Maroney and uh, uh, the others, the safety for Miami. I'm blanking on his name right now, but, you know, s- some riskier picks. But really, you know, 18 out of 20 years or whatever it was, they would take the high floor solid. And of course, they ended up hitting home runs on a few of them. But the, you felt like you wanted to get something for sure out of your, you know, as, as reliable a pick as possible. Um, you know, and in this year's draft, there are a lot of, you know, highly respected higher floor players that maybe don't have quite the ceiling that it would see in a normal year, like a Micah Parsons or a, uh, you know, a Chase Young or somebody on that level. Um, So I would say Houston doesn't feel like a big stretch. It's really just sort of picking the right offensive lineman or the right defender, what have you, you know, and, you know, Joe Douglas is obviously, you know, with the, the Jets GM has sort of been in, uh, you know, well-regarded in scouting circles for a long time, whether it was his one year for the bears and then the Eagles, and then obviously coming to New York, we've got a few drafts under his belt. So, you know, it's maybe less of a, of a stretch with him. Um, you'd like to think that, you know, Joe Shane in New York would, would follow exactly the way Brandon Bean did it in Buffalo, but that's a trap door too, because, you know, not everybody thinks in, in such rigid ways. So right. it, it, it does get tough. I mean, really the most experienced GM in the top 10, I think is John Schneider, if I'm not mistaken at, at nine and Seattle is always a wild card and they're the wild card team. Right. And you yeah. read my mind. You knew it. I mean, that's it. Like every year we were thinking, okay, what third rounder are they going to take in round one? And some of them work <laughs> out. So yeah, I, it, it most certainly has all the elements of very unpredictable first round, which is good because Frankly, you know, like there's there's not a lot of quarterback drama. There's not a lot of, you know, blue chip type of talent. Um, You mentioned the quarterback. Let me just ask there to sort of round out mm-hmm. the top 10 conversation. Part of the unknown variable is will quarterbacks go off the board? Uh, I see some mock drafts that have two quarterbacks going off the board, especially if you think Detroit actually might do it. I'm with you. I, I just don't sort of see it. But yeah, what do I know? Uh, that means they all could slip to the you know bottom of the first round but we all get it you need a quarterback in this league or you don't have much of a of of a chance uh carolina has been trying like the dickens to get a quarterback they also have sam darnold who while obviously he flopped last year i don't know he may probably have better traits than a lot of the guys who are in this draft so there's that and will team want to trade up or whatever what's your what's your kind of read on the quarterbacks where do you kind of think they start to to fall yeah, I, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've buttered both sides of this bread, you know, early <laughs> on, I, I sort of was on, on what you just laid out, which is, boy, I don't know, you know, that it's not like there's one player where, uh, I mean, obviously with Willis, the traits are very alluring and with Pickett, you know, you have uh, some, some, I think pretty good tape this last year, you know, that it's, and, and obviously with Ritter, I think he's kind of the, the, the quarterback three and then. I've been told that it wouldn't be stunning to see him be the second quarterback drafted. I find that a little surprising, but not shocking. Um, but it just doesn't have the allure of last year. And so it's, it's, it's a little tricky to find out. I, but then I lean back on the idea that everyone needs quarterbacks. It's not necessarily true, but 
when you don't have one, you really, really need one. So, you know, what are the Saints plans? Like, what, what are they doing with those two first round picks? My initial gut feeling was, was this a, a Carson Wentz type of situation where the Eagles had to kind of take the first step up and then get into the top 10 or, you know, the number two pick or who was the other one? Uh, Josh Allen, I believe was the same thing where the, the bills had to get up a little higher and then package that pick to move up in the first round. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's how it went. Are, are they one of those teams? If so, are they feeling the need to jump ahead of Carolina and Atlanta? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Are, are they willing to go that high to, to draft a quarterback who may not start this year with, with, them singing the praise of Jameis that's I wouldn't say that's the first domino but I would say that's the aspect that you have to kind of watch out of your your rear view mirror objects are closer than they appear <laughs> right. it may be the case I don't know Carolina obviously is a is a, a signpost at six Atlanta I don't really think so I think they're hoping to maybe double back in round two if I had to guess uh Seattle again we mentioned the wild card element hard to know I think one goes somewhere in the top 10 and you know, that, that little range that we just talked about is, is probably where I see it happening if it does, but it wouldn't shock me to see Pickett slip a little bit. You know, we've seen him in the top 10 and I don't know that he necessarily goes in that range. You know, I mean, Carolina is so interesting to me. It, the obvious answer for most of these teams is just tank. I mean, I don't mean that like literally I, try to lose games. I just mean, you know, this is, there's no lottery. If you want that guy for next year, we know next year's draft class has a couple of prospects that are deemed better than what this group is. Yeah. Just lose. And last time I checked, Carolina ended their year losing all the games. <laughs> the problem they have is that they have an owner who doesn't seem to be, who seems to be ultra aggressive. And they have yeah. a, a potentially lame deck head coach that's who right. and so ha, who's who's making the call there is it those guys is it a forward-thinking gm i think that's like from the quarterback perspective i think that's kind of the pivot point is how to, what's their mindset um with this pick um let's talk about the uh the, the the team that i get to cover yeah uh you've got so i went with in my mock draft uh for them i went with drake london i saw um, that yeah i kind of laid out just you can eliminate a few of the players because they don't need certain positions and you try to guess who's going to be there. And I'm not always a huge fan of taking receivers super high in the draft, but mm -hmm. based on the board, it kind of just feels like the best sense. That said, you, I look, you know, I considered Garrett Wilson, who I had off and Chris Olave. We saw Ron Rivera attend Ohio state's pro day. He rarely right. goes out on the road. So it's a, kind of one of those points we talked before about a trait to keep an eye on. You have Chris Olave ahead of Drake London, and they are two very different types of receivers. Um, Drake London is the classic red zone, you know, power and power forward type guy. Olave is just a really smooth route runner. What do you, why do you have Olave over London, and who do you think would make the most sense for where Washington's at? Yeah, part of it was sort of in my making calls, you know, and, and hearing what people around the league thought and people that I respect and who have you know, had decent track records at that particular position, you know, uh, not everybody agrees. I think there are some who feel like Drake London has the, the physical skill set that Olave will, never will have, obviously 40 or 35 pounds more or whatever he is. And, and you know, three inches taller and at a, at a radius, a catch radius, that's, that's way more impressive. Uh, you know, even you could argue yards after the catch in the sense that Olave doesn't break tackles. I mean, he, if he's going to, get yards after the catch is because he beat, stacked the corner and he's off to the races, you know? So 
it's really going to, it's, it's tough because obviously, as you know, these, these receivers come in all different shapes and sizes and one team could value the Olave type. And, and you say, Oh yeah, they're like, that's a perfect fit for that. Like imagine Chris Olave you know, on a Drew Brees saints team. Like it's, you know, you would just, you would, you'd be laughing because it would be so great. Or, you know, uh, a, a Traylon Burks uh, as in the Anquan Bolden role or whatever. I mean, you know, it's easy to sort of pencil in certain types to certain teams and, and play callers and whatnot. So, you know, I'm valuing these players for 32 teams. It's not a perfect science. People ask why I have a guy here or there. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of mixing all the ingredients into the pot and seeing what I come up with because, right. you know, there are often times where you hear vast range between team a and team B and how they, how they rate a certain player. So yeah, for, for, for Washington, absolutely. I could see it, right. Especially you want to pair somebody opposite with McLaurin and you want to have a little bit more size that position. They've kind of gone with some of the, uh, you know, more compact playmakers and stuff. So I completely understand that. And, you know, what Drake London did in eight games last year was really eye opening. And you feel like, boy, yeah. this, this, this kid has some explosiveness and, you know, I don't, I don't care about the track speed. I like the fact that he catches a lot of footballs and, and does it really well. And he's got a versatility at different spots. He played a lot of slot he the did. previous two years. This year he was the X and Ron Rivera always talks about position flexibility, yada, yep. yada, yada. Um, I guess with Terry McLaurin would presumably still be the X. So I guess he would have to be on the other side. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you think that that would make sense for him. Whereas Olave was that other guy. Um, opposite Garrett Wilson in Ohio State, I saw somebody's view that, like, basically, that may be only what Olave is, that he's not maybe a guy who's as versatile lining up all over the field. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting debate there for Washington, the versatility versus maybe they need that spot more than London um, would, would be um, at, at, at that spot. And to the point of traits, so you think about Carolina when, when Ron Rivera, to some degree, Marty Herney is there. They draft mm-hmm. Kelvin Benjamin. They draft Devin Funchess, two That's bigger right. receivers. Put aside that they didn't quite work out, but two bigger receivers. They also draft DJ Moore, yep. who I guess I would say is more in the Garrett Wilson Olave. Like comp. a bigger version, right? Yeah, I mean, he's like, I mean, I think he played more like Steve Smith, in ter- you know, like the physical guy, but he's obviously compact. Yeah, so I would I would say he's like a bigger Garrett Wilson, I think is is a good ballpark comp, yeah. Okay, so now the other guys who could be in this range, um, you know, Derek Stingley, we mentioned if the if the receiver if those top two receivers are off the board, now you're looking at other spots. Washington's fifth defensive back, they play primarily five DBs yep. as the, as their main uh, scheme. We don't know who the fifth guy is. Derek Stingley would be there now. Some might say, well, he's more of a man guy at LSU, and Washington plays more zone. That was this was part of their issue this past year with William Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a a concern or, yeah. Or, yeah is that one of those deals where you look at it like yeah maybe i'm not going to slot stingley to washington even though that may be kind of what they need yeah i mean i definitely consider that right i mean like offensive linemen are they better at zone blocking gap blocking whatever you know corners are they man guys are they press man guys are they zone you know you have to factor that in but for instance, I see the Chargers go out and sign J.C. Jackson. I don't think anyone would say he's an amazing zone corner. I mean, like you know, like he's best when he's manning up with the opponent's best receiver. So, you know, you see exceptions all the time where people aren't 
deemed to be perfect scheme fits, but you add them because they're great football players. So right. always exceptions to the rule, but you absolutely have to, to consider that stuff. And, you know, you just have to make it make sense in your head a little bit. <laughs> like, how could it work? You know, I, I, you don't want to force picks and shoehorn them in there when they're not, when they're not fits. Uh, of course, we make calls to find out, hey, is this guy realistic? Is he, you know, is he at least in play, you know, and you make those kind of calls. So we may have a, a little bit smaller pool from which to draw just because of our, you know, contacts and things like that, but you may not know every scheme or you may not know uh, somebody on staff who can provide that information and your eyes may not may deceive you, or you could be in a situation where the prospect was asked to do things that they're not especially great at for the betterment of the defense or for, you know, the other 10 guys were really good at this scheme. And this one's a little miscast, you know, Alex Highsmith at Charlotte now really good with the Steelers, a third round pick. He should have gone higher or whatever, you know, cause they play out of position or they play in the wrong type of system for their skill set. I think that's what Trevon Walker, why he's exciting to a lot of people. He was asked to kind of hold, you know, occupy blocks and things like that. He won't be doing that at the next level. So there's, there's always exceptions, but yeah, you'd most definitely have to consider that. And so I don't know that the, the zone thing would be a, uh, it would kill off a Stingley to Washington scenario. The, just the question would be, you know, how good do you feel about the foot? Are you willing to, you know, take a player that I think should talent wise, but deserves to be in the top five or six, but there are other questions with him, including durability and, and recent tape being lackluster. Right. And I always end up using a comps for the NBA because that's where my brain was for many years. And yeah. like when, when guys would come out of the University of Kentucky under Calipari, we knew they were like blue chip players. But because they had so many guys and he needed the guys to do maybe play De- more Devin minor Booker, roles. Right. <laughs> right. Right. All of a sudden when they get to the pros they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. where yeah. was this? What, what was this? It's like, well, they didn't they need him to do something different. Then what? Then what's here? Right, Devin Booker is the perfect example yeah. of that. So yeah, so you, you that that's part of the scouting. You got to figure out what was going on at that level and how does it translate uh, to your level. Um, yeah. la- last thing was sort of the the eleventh pick. I don't necessarily know that Kyle Hamilton will be there, but I've have heard I've had more scouts lately tell me don't be surprised if he is. Yeah. I also don't know that Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah, gets picked that high, but yet yeah. you see people say he's one of the top ten prospects. Uh, our Bruce Feldman did his own sort of mock draft and based on talking to people had him going fifth. Mm-hmm. What do you think is more likely? This is just Ooh. hypothetical. More likely that Kyle Hamilton is actually there at 11 and makes would make sense for them or that Washington, a team. Yeah. They did take a linebacker last year, but still need one could yeah. take Devin Lloyd at 11, even though most projections seem to have him going a little bit lower. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Which is more likely. <laughs> yeah. Hamilton being there or Lloyd, not being there is that what we're saying but, so but basically lloyd being you know being bumped up higher than you would think but hamilton yeah. maybe slipping further than than you think Ooh, I, i'll say this i think there's one team and that that would more strongly consider lloyd than others in that range and they have two picks and that's the giants part of my thinking i don't know if other people are on the same thinking i'm obviously you know i think they need linebackers they have some depth but not really any any standouts there but when, when the Bills, Brandon Bean, you know, had his first draft up there, I think it was 17 or 18, I'm blanking on the year or whatever, but, you know, yes, Josh Allen was the big prize, but they also had Terrell Edmonds up there, uh, or Tremaine Edmonds, excuse me, I had his brother, um, that they, you know, was a traitsy guy, kind of a long, limber linebacker, similar in some respects, maybe not quite as athletically gift, 
Um, uh, Lloyd isn't that for that matter, but it's the same sort of player that you say, I've seen him make plays uh, stopping the run. I've seen him blitzing. I've seen him in coverage, making diving interceptions and whatnot. Um, you pick six against Stanford, a little short one, but uh, you know, doing a lot of things. That was kind of what Edmonds was at Virginia tech his last year prior to that good player, but not a, uh, you know, somebody who, who lit your hair on fire. Maybe that's the kind of guy they want to add right away. So I would say that, you know, is it, is it possible that Lloyd goes that high? Yeah. I could see that, that, that player fitting with that team, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Am I necessarily going to, going to project that? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent about Lloyd in the sense that I don't think linebackers of, of that ilk should be going that high, but yeah, it's, it's certainly a positive Hamilton to me, boy. I still feel like somebody is going to say this is a heck of a football player. I don't care about the 40 speed. I don't care about, you know, he, he plays and he plays really well. And he's got traits that most, most safeties don't. So if you want Harrison Smith, you're probably going to, I think have to take him in the top 10 possible, but I, I would say that's a little less likely. Yeah. I mean, his in, in, instincts to me are something, I just don't know how you can, like, you know, you can't coach speed per se. Yeah. I also don't, I think instincts are just really impossible, not impossible, really hard to, to, to develop, you either have their instincts, you have them or you don't, even if you can develop them, it takes a long time. Yeah. Kind of like what I think Washington is going through with Jamin Davis right now. He needs to learn and it's not happening immediately. Maybe it happens in three years, but it's not today. And, and, and you know, can, 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 can you wait? Hamilton has the instincts is my point. Yeah. Watching him yeah. play at Notre Dame, just like, whoa, that guy, he always seemed to make those plays like the one where Derek Jeter with the cutoff play in that in that, <laughs> I love that. like wait why is Derek Jeter over there it doesn't make any sense and and you're like wait why is Hamilton over there that yeah. wasn't his guy or what's happening so you can't coach some of those things that's why I think he's interesting uh yeah. for, it's like for, the Larry sure. Bird remember the famous Larry Bird where he shoots the shot and immediately knows it was too far to the left so he's got to run to the right and then kind of put it up with his left hand I think yeah. it was the like those kind of plays are are what Kyle Hamilton does to safety. He he starts moving before the ball, and he's not perfect with it. Boy, I think he's just he's just a lot better at it than anybody in this class, and and anybody maybe in last year's class too at that position. Um, in the, in the last couple of seconds, let me just bang out some other non first round yeah. things with you quick. So let's just say for argument's sake, wide receiver is the angle in round one for Washington. So they would still need, they only have one day two pick in number 47. Mm-hmm. I think they would need, they could, they would arguably need a linebacker. Uh, you have guys like Troy Anderson and Chad Muma there in, in round two, perhaps. I would think they could arguably use a, uh, a another defensive back. You've got your, your, your safeties, your, your, your Daxton Hills, your, your, your Jalen. Yeah. Petries, you also have a bunch of cornerbacks like your Elam at Florida. Then I think you also could arguably take an offensive lineman. Um, the interior line depth seems to get a little bit weaker, what have you. Based on whatever you think, the overall board or just some prospect you like, who's somebody at 47 at sort of one of those spots that you would say, you know what, if that guy's there, that kind of would make me a good fit. Or I just somebody the- you like. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, in, in kind of thinking in that range, the linebacker depth should be pretty nice. I would say, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I the more I talk to people, I think Quay Walker from Georgia is probably off the board at that at that range. Maybe not, but probably I would say, um, you know, so that leaves us Muma. You mentioned uh, Anderson is, you know, his athletic testing has been great you know, former offensive player who plays quarterback and then goes to linebacker right. uh, wins awards at both positions. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good story there. And seems like a great kid. He's got all the traits. Is he too 
Jamin Davis and that he's a traitsy guy that's still developing. I mean, that, that worries me a little, you know, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, you have to know what you're doing with him. Like you're not going to ask him to line up in the slot and man cover a tight end. I just don't see it. I don't think he'll ever do that. I think he's a blitzer and a run stopper and maybe a spot dropper in coverage. So, you know, is that what you need? His instincts are outstanding in terms of diagnosing the run and, and, you know, seeing the flow of the play, I think. Um, so yeah, Christian Harris from Alabama. I don't forget. We talked about him yet. No, I mean, he, boy, it's like his athleticism is really great. He, he, he looks like a, like a big safety out there. I I don't know. I've seen him kind of guess wrong and gaps and stuff. I think he's, he's too hard to pass, but I don't know if that's the fit if you're pairing him necessarily at that spot. So I would say of those, probably Muma makes the most sense. I mean, uh, you know, you hate to compare him to the, the last guy who was there, but Logan Wilson's really worked out nicely. He's a little bit smaller, but same kind of package where he covers, plays the run, you know, does a little bit of everything. He can play special teams if you need him to. Been a stand, you know, uh, contributor since freshman year. That's, I mean, that's like where I would, my brain kind of tended to, to go when you ask that question. Um, all right. I like, I like all that, uh, running back. They have, they, for their top 30 visits, they have brought in, or I think they've already come through Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall, the Michigan state, Iowa state running backs respectively. Yep. Who, I think, I think you've got them as their, your top two on the board. I think with Hall first, Yep. that would probably mean you got to pick them in the second round. If you're Washington, uh, it could happen, especially if on their first pick, they go defense. Yeah. But let's just say for argument's sake, it's, it's later. I'm kind of convinced they they add another running back. I yeah. think they recognized last year their best part of the season was with ball control. They want to help give Carson Wentz more help, more weapons. So it wouldn't stun me to add another running back. Plus, Antonio Gibson's had some durability issues. Yeah. Um, who's a you can talk about either those those top two running backs or somebody on day three? But who's a running back do you think could kind of make sense for what Washington likes to do? Yeah, and I don't really know. You know, I mean, like I guess it wouldn't be stunning if if. Brees Hall went round one or if Walker slipped into the end of round one more likely round two and whatnot. And, but I, I think there's going to be great depth in the round four range. I think that's really going to kind of be where, you know, you get the best value. You get a, a player who's of, of similar, but you know, there's going to be a one or two Elijah Mitchell's this year. I'm, I'm convinced of it where, you know, last year, perfect example of a you know the sixth round pick beats out the third rounder Trey Sermon in in on the same team in the 49ers so you could see that play out on a league-wide scale this year you know some of my favorites and obviously they've they've gotten some some guys from unusual places Pierre Strong from from South Dakota State is is a really fun watch and you know he's got a good combination of uh, speed he ran you know I thought he was a maybe a mid four fours guy he was under four 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 three seven or eight whatever it was uh, great tape to go back with at lower competition, but still, you know, Zamir White to me is underrated. I think you can get him in that fourth, fifth round range too. The, he was the one half of the equation with James Cook at Georgia, you know, tough guy, similar, you know, Brian Robinson from Alabama has some similar traits, you know, just kind of a straightforward guy. You know, he could take some of those tough carries away from Gibson, I would think. And, you know, Abram Smith, another guy who's sort of built like a bowling ball from Baylor, you know, I, I think we'll, will be a great blue collar back, a Seattle type of back, you know, that kind of guy. Um, and Damian Pierce, probably from Florida, why he wasn't given the ball more. I'm guessing that's the reason Dan Mullen was fired. <laughs> I mean, I just, I was shocked because watching it was so fun. And then, you know, he might be flying below the radar a little bit and, you know, 
Tyler Algier from, from BYU. I just, I don't know. I just listed off like five guys who could go from the, the 80th pick to the 140th pick, you know, and I think that's really going to be the kind of the sweet spot for running backs this year. So it will, in my opinion, leak to round four, if, you know, if, the, if Washington doesn't want to, you know, use a second round pick, but Brees Hall is my favorite. I, I, I feel pretty good about him being a Jonathan Taylor light, you know, like that kind of a back. Okay. Um, I like Pierce a lot, and I know they they showed some interest in Abram Smith mm-hmm. at least early in the draft process. Yeah. So, um, good, good answer. Last question. This may be the most important question I can ask because nobody cares about almost anything other than quarterbacks. And <laughs> Ron Rivera's made it pretty clear they're not going to take one at eleven. They're, they've yeah. invested in Carson Wentz, but he's also said he's told me on the record that. They're probably going to have three quarterbacks. That would be the likely scenario. Mm-hmm. Day three, therefore, we're, we're looking at somebody. Uh, you know, it's all these guys are crapshoots. T- Taylor Heineke is the primary backup, but he is in the last year of his contract. Yeah. Um, if you've got a bigger quarterback like Carson Wentz, maybe that means you want to draft a bigger quarterback to sort of mirror that, or you just take the best guy you got. Who's your favorite day three quarterback? Does you like, or maybe you think makes sense for, for Washington? Yeah, if if Carson Strong makes it there, because there's some some medical questions with him with his knee, you know, he to his credit, he played about six months earlier than than was expected, or you know that than the typical rehab schedule would be, and and um, I think that's a little bit inflated. I think it's more like three months, but that's the number he's going with in his interviews and stuff. But you know, Strong early in the year was this sort of statue in the pocket. You know, he couldn't move at all. He had this big bulky knee brace on, and you know, he was just kind of standing there and you know, flicking his wrist and still had the arm talent to make a lot of those throws. By the end of the year, you saw somebody who had actually good pocket movement. He's not a great athlete at all, but you know, somebody who I thought could step up in the pocket and slide and do all this little stuff that looked pretty advanced to me, he made checks at the lines. He did all those things. Like if you told me at last, he lasted around four, it wouldn't stun me. I kind of thought day two, you know, a month or two ago had a so-so senior bowl. Wasn't, jazzed about what he did down there the arm talent didn't look quite as good as i saw on tape he's one that that i would invest in but not too heavily you know i would say round four is a is a is a very nice investment for him uh to see what you have because i think he's better than what we saw last year you know the only other guy who really kind of excites me in that that later in date well there are two of them i guess ej perry from brown is kind of the, the hot name i mean he's a really good athlete yeah. He's got a lot to learn though. He needs time. Right. And Caleb Ellaby from, from Western Michigan is one who's shorter, pretty athletic, didn't test great, but I mean, I think he can do a lot of things on the move. He's one that I would absolutely take a flyer on in round six and, and feel like, you know, in two years, let's see what we have. Do we have another Taylor Heineke ish player? Do we just move on? It's a low investment at that point. So those are a couple of names that to me make sense. Uh, Go follow Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore at home, E-D-H-O-L-M. Go read him on yahoo.com. Uh, Eric, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for the yeah. insight and uh, good luck with the mock. I have no idea what we're going to, what we're going to see here in the next uh, 10 days or so. Who knows what other moves will happen. This, the NFL offseason has been insane. So who knows yeah. what's going to happen? I'm prepared for a bloodbath. I, I'm used to it, right? I mean, I, I'm prepared for uh, my mock, to, the red pen to come out and get really ugly there, but it's part of the fun. You know, we were wrong a lot. So I appreciate you having me on. It was a blast. Thanks, man. All right. Joining me here on the podcast, as promised, he is uh, my former colleague at the uh, Sports Capital and NBC Sports Washington. He covered uh, in person the early stages of Dwayne Haskins' career here in Washington, as well as uh, over time 
uh, here and uh, obviously like the rest of us just try to start a process still what's going on uh brian mcnally uh we're talking sunday night so this all this news is over 24 hours uh brian obviously the i still am struggling to process that all this uh happened you are uh among the reasons i wanted to have you on was you are uh eloquent with your words and you always have you're a grounded guy you tell me, where are you at right now with this uh, incredibly sad news? I think struggling to sum it up is a, is a good way to put that, Ben, right? Like, I mean, you just don't expect it with young people in general, just in life, but young athletes too can seem, given that we see their exploits on the field and all that stuff, it can seem, they seem larger than life and you just don't anticipate that their journey will be cut short. Um, not in this way. Obviously, we're still trying to process how and why this happened. And there's an ongoing investigation and, and all of that by the Florida Highway Patrol. So, but ultimately, it comes back to you're just trying to wrap your mind around a person um, who a lot of people cared about being, being gone in an instant and, and how that could happen and how, um, how many people one person affects, right? I mean, yeah. The outpour, I think what struck me yesterday was trying to, um, you know, write and coordinate this story among uh, our different NBC sports properties was, um, you know, how, how many people you saw on Twitter release statements that weren't, weren't canned statements, right? That weren't just like thoughts and prayers that were genuinely uh, moving tributes to a teammate, a friend. Um, you know, someone they loved and cared about, uh, uh, Terry McLaurin teammate at Ohio state. And with the, uh, the commanders in Washington, um, had a really poignant Instagram post late Saturday night. And, uh, I'm sure it was late Saturday night for a reason, right? Like it took him, it probably took him all day to kind of think about how to do what we're doing, process that the loss of someone who's was going to be 25 years old in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and obviously, for those guys, they weren't just teammates in Washington. They were teammates at Ohio State, get drafted yeah. in the same year, same draft class here. They knew each other even you know before school, you know, going through all the prep uh, prep battles. Here's a little bit of what Terry said. Uh, I have it here. Uh, quote, devastated is the only word I can come up with right now. Dwayne always had a smile on his face and had a personality that was one of one. We talked the night. We both were drafted about how hopeful we were for our futures and how excited we were to be able to play and compete uh, compete together again. I thank God for the memories we shared and the conversations we had. Goes on for a while here. At the end, he just says, save a spot for me in the, in the big end zone in the sky where we will celebrate again one day, end quote, with a heart emoji there. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, when these when these things happen unfortunately it is it brings out the emotions in everybody and it makes everybody i think on some level feel how fragile life is i mean these are the moments where everybody says you know hug your loved ones and and tell everybody how you feel about them and you know it's sure. sometimes sometimes these things can be sound cliche or hokey i don't think it is in these cases i think it is important it is a, it is the unfortunate reminder that we all probably need as we live our own lives but in this case it's a not a reminder it's a note that 
a guy who's 24 years old, regardless of whether his football career ever worked out to the degree that, you know, people hoped or that he hoped he had, you know, years and years to, to, to try to, you know, go around this planet and figure out what all of us try to figure out every day, how to be a decent person, you know, did he want, I don't know if he wanted to be a father, but try to be a, a son, a brother. He had siblings. He was, he was loved and, you know, friend, to all these other, to, to these teammates, to other people he knew in the community elsewhere. And, you know, obviously, unfortunately now he's never going to get that chance. And it's really just um, all these hours later. That's why I reached out to you earlier. I'm like, look, I, I, I need to talk about this and I'm still struggling. How I was on the radio today talking about this and I'm still <laughs> here trying to figure out because it's just, you know, you see the tweet and you're re- and you're reading it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's already, it's surprising enough when you see a tweet that says somebody got traded or something. You're like, wow, okay. But this is like, wait, what? I had to read it like three times, and I actually looked to make sure this was like a a real Schefter account that it wasn't a fake one because sure. it was so out of out, out, out of whack for what anything anybody could possibly expect. And it goes across across. It's not just football, right? Like it's not just teammate certainly teammates coaches weighed in ron rivera urban meyer um at some point we were doing kind of a a compilation of of people who would had just put out statements on social media instagram twitter and someone one of our uh writers said uh hey carl anthony towns weighed in and i was like what that's a little uh, out of you know i don't know what did what did that have to do with anything or how, why, why would we use his reaction? That seems random. Well, they grew up together in New Jersey, right? They knew each other for since the time they were kids and probably presumably had played on some of the same teams or against each other. Um, so it, it makes you realize how um, far reaching that, what that is, that, that one life can have across not just your sport or your chosen profession, but um all, all across the landscape and how many people you affect and how many people helped get you where you are, um, whatever it is, whether it's a being a star quarterback at Ohio state or whether it's being a, you know, a great artist or a musician or whatever, it took a ton of people to get you there and to help you get there and care about your, you know, you, you reaching your potential, whatever that is in, in life. And for him not to, not to see that through, not to get the chance to see that through. Um, you know, it's it, like you said, it leaves us trying to process it. And I, I don't know that our brains can always are always capable of that. Uh, it, it just leaves kind of more questions than answers. And um, yeah, just a, just a tough day all the way around. Yeah. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was among those who, who sure. tweeted something out. Obviously they played together this past year. It's Pittsburgh, along with a lot of guys who were with him here in Washington. Cam Sims, I saw, Deron Payne. Joe Burrow, uh, their, their past crossed at Ohio State. He Haskins won the job over Burrow, and their lives changed completely because of that, you know, that choice that Urban Meyer and his staff made, you know. And so even he, you know, it's it's just it's amazing how many how many different lives you touch in that way. Yeah. Um, and and just obviously to touch on him here you know i always am cautious to ever say no matter what the circumstances that i know these people right i mean we don't know sure. almost anybody that we know everybody you know everybody's different but with the athletes you know there's a there's a barrier there typically you may get to know them a little bit in some space the locker room or um you know just being around but you know you don't always quite know and and so on so that said you know 
Dwayne's rookie year 2019. It was the last year we were in the in the locker room before the pandemic. And that meant being able to see him and talk to him a little bit. He was um, he was a, a transplant here to the area, moved here from New Jersey, grew up in this area in Montgomery County, went to Bullis. I'm a Montgomery County kid. Brian is also a Montgomery County kid. But I so that was one of the things I was able to try to talk to him about was was about that. I don't, I don't think we discussed like favorite restaurants running in the area, but just the idea of being sort of connected in that way. And, you know, what always sort of struck me with Dwayne Haskins was look, he had a lot of confidence for sure. Um, I, I read our uh, Ohio state uh, writer at the athletic bill Landis. He, he talked about the smile that Dwayne had that really yeah. just sort of lit up the room, but really showed his level of sort of confidence. And John Kime was on uh, the radio today with me on one Oh six, seven, the fan John Kime, obviously uh, the ESPN reporter for the commanders um, also brought that up independently that this kid smile. And you would see that, for 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 sure one thing that always struck me with Dwayne um when you talk about not it's hard sometimes to get to know these people like we think of recent quarterbacks we've had here uh, Alex Smith Kirk Cousins as examples even as they were established they don't really let you in for who they are they keep a very big distance they don't say anything they don't do they, they, they let the they keep the human out of the element essentially I think Dwayne was much more trying to be human I think, though, he always reminded me of sort of like a kid trying to play growing up a little bit, like he was trying to play quarterback, the, not just the position, but the role of that on a team, be the leader. There was that one video, I remember, when he was like kind of yelling at some of the offensive linemen, I don't mean in a negative way, but trying to, you know, rally them to, to we, up, yeah. yeah, here's what we need to do. And, you know, he was trying to figure it out, whether he always got there, whatever, but like he was trying to figure it out. And, you know, that's more than I can say for a lot of people, not just football players but in life some people go through the motions and aren't trying i always thought he was at least trying to try to figure it out Did and then that, uh, that, that was the difficulty me. of that ben right trying to trying to figure out on the highest stage but yet pro sports is not an easy place to do that right you want you want to you you want to figure it out and I, I believe that too like just inter, i didn't interview him a ton of times but i talked to him enough like I got the same vibe. Like he, he wanted to be good. He wanted to figure things out. He was probably trying to find out who he was as a, as a person grow into that role. And he was doing it in difficult circumstances. Right. I mean, we're, we're veering toward on the field stuff, but I mean, I think that it was true of him in life as well. Like trying to find out who you are, that's not a crazy thing in your early twenties. Like, even if you're, I don't care what you did in college or any of that stuff, when you hit the adult world, lessons are learned and new things come up and you're trying to, you're going to make mistakes. Like no one, you don't just graduate college and they, you know, shake your hand and say, ah, you're good to go. No, nothing, no, no trials or tribulations upcoming. No, I mean, I mean that's we, not, we, not we, how things work. We obviously demand a lot from these athletes. I mean, with their, you know, even when we're talking about in high school athletes to college to pros, whatever, they're obviously all put on a pedestal with that at depending on the level they get certain perks to come with it but we also expect a lot from them because of it you have to be a 22 year old who goes out into the job force working for a uh, an accounting firm is not in public display they have to do the responsibilities within that job but their 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 actions are not out there for the world to see if they make mistakes um even for the right. incident that happened for him 
that ultimately led to uh, him basically getting released. Who and any and I, I defy anybody to definitively say they wouldn't have acted in some immature way or they didn't themselves in some way that gets them into some trouble or whatever. But this was being done on a public stage and at a point where. You know, this is the thing with sports, right? It isn't just about them. The accounting firm, as that example, it's about them to a degree and their handful of clients, but there's not an emotional attachment. Here, this is an emotional attachment. The, 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 the entire city, the entire area is, is, is with these guys. We need you to win. It's all about you. We need you. We're, we're behind you. We need you to do this for us. And so it always feels like a bit of a letdown when they just lose a game or something happens. And this is, this is how this all connects on some way and again i i'm not i try to i try the best i can to not judge what a person is doing because i don't know what i would do I've, I've screwed up many times and it is what it is and and you know i it's it's just when you have these jobs it is on stage for everybody to see and it just becomes um hard the the flip side is everybody sees your good stuff and he had a lot of good stuff particularly at Ohio State, I was talking to John Kime about this, who obviously is a Ohio, Ohio State uh, lunatic. I mean that in a good way. Uh, I was reading only the best, way, only the best way. <laughs> yeah, I was reading, as I said, our um, our uh, Ohio State writer Bill Landis was talking about this. Like Haskins only started the one season at Ohio State. He did play a little bit the previous year, but only started the one season. And it says here that his name appears ninety-two times in the Ohio State record book uh he threw 50 touchdowns that one year which set big 10 records he finished third in the heisman trophy that year and he's responsible not just for that he in a lot of ways helped reshape how we view ohio state because as you know um ohio state from a quarterback perspective they had not had a first round pick since arch schleister which was like in 1982 it was always sort of like if you're a hot a, a quarterback prospect don't go to ohio state on some level right since Dwayne Haskins, just since he is, Justin Fields also a first round pick, and they're going to have another one, CJ Stroud, who could be the first pick in the draft in 2023. And the point here that was made and, and Kime concurred that Dwayne's presence really did help reshape that program, a, one of the most storied programs um, ever. And I, I was texting with different people about all this yesterday, including Urban Meyer, and he t- texted that Dwayne, that, that his grandson, Urban Meyer's grandson, his favorite player, Ohio State player, is was Dwayne Haskins, um, and and so you know you know he for a program that has unbelievable amount of great players that have come through over the years that Dwayne Haskins was able to stand out in that field you know really says a lot about his town and how he connected with, with that community. Reminds me, Ben, that I, I forget this sometimes that he had committed to Maryland, right? Yeah. Uh, he committed to Mike Loxley, I think was the offensive coordinator at the time maybe in 2015, I forget the exact year, but, um, and, and in, in reality, he had to have probably hard conversations at some point with people that were like, look, you have this amount of talent and you can succeed on the biggest stage. And while you may want to stay home and you may want to, you know, play for Maryland or do whatever, like this is an opportunity that, that you kind of have to take and, and grab. And, and he did that. Like, I don't, I think, you know, he, he went and, uh, as you said, I, I think his freshman year, it could have been his redshirt freshman year, but um, was thrust into a game against Michigan and like immediately threw a 40 yard pass downfield, like on a, on a dime, like he was, he was ready for the get from the get go. Um, 
and made, you know, made that right choice. The people around him kind of steered him in the, in the right direction to, to take advantage of that talent on the field. And then, you know, going back to what you were kind of, you know, hinting at earlier, then became, you know, as you would talk to him was just a warm guy, right? Like I know even our own uh, Mitch Tischler, who has covered the, uh, covered the commanders, the football team for a long time, had a tweet this morning. It was a retweet from, I think, 2019, where Dwayne went down to, um, to a local hospital to give it a game ball to a kid he had promised it to. Not many NFL quarterbacks that do that kind of stuff, right? Like, so that when you go back to that, we don't really know these guys. We don't really know these guys. We know them in an interview setting and he had a big smile and a, a warm personality and was polite, even in when circumstances weren't always great on the field with, with the football team, but, um, and in Washington, but you know, it was capable of those little moments that, that we also get to see behind the scenes, whether it's a guy going out of his way to make a kid's day. And I don't mean just signing an autograph. I mean, literally driving on an off day down to a hospital to give a kid a game ball. Those, those things kind of tell you, they hint at the potential of a person, not just on the field, but off it too. And, you know, that's, that's the thing you, you lose the most in these situations that, that growth potential on the field. Great. Like whatever his career direction would have taken, whether he would have been a, a good backup quarterback in Pittsburgh or developed into a starter somewhere. Like those are all things we can talk about and discuss, but you know, it's, it's, it's the other stuff that, um, that you can't, you can't get back. And, and is, is, you know, you kind of see it in, in his teammates and friends and how they're, they do that. I guess that that's what struck me, Ben, is they do know him, right. They did, you know, Carl Anthony Towns or, Terry McLaurin or Chase Young, like these guys know him on a much more human level than we can. And what they say then resonates, like, you know, you get a sense of, of who the guy was They're They're not just saying things to say it. They're, they're talking to their friend um, and saying what he meant to them. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's uh, going, it's going back to that original point. It's just so much to process. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, look, obviously there, we will talk about Dwayne Haskins. Again, we talk about this football team all the time. This is what we do for work. This is what we do for pleasure. And, you know, Dwayne Haskins is part of everything that's gone on around here. When we talk about all the things over the last 20 years under Dan Snyder, whatever it is, all these things come up and Dwayne Haskins is part of that. Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins, as we know, was the guy that Dan Snyder wanted them to draft it with the 15th pick in 2019 football. People didn't want it. It is what it is. That's what they did. He, he took the pick uh, Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder were among the people today, of course, who uh, put out statements, you know, condolences and just expressing their um, emotions. Um, it has nothing. To, I mean, look, I think on some level with Dwayne's football situation, he got thrown into the worst possible place. I mean, for some people playing at home is not a good thing, no matter what. Some, it doesn't matter. Some, it's not great. Um, maybe nothing changes. Maybe he you know, would have had some early adjustments no matter where he was. He got thrown into this place that we all know is an incredibly chaotic mess. He came to a team <laughs> that the head coach was on the verge of getting fired and they had a really bad year. They had a new coach come in and, you know, th that is really difficult for anybody to have to, to deal with. It's, you know, we've seen tons of veteran guys come in here and be like, Are you kidding me? Alex Smith the other day said, boy, good luck yeah. to Carson sure. Wentz 
trying to figure out how to navigate that place. Well, imagine a kid coming in, getting thrust in and, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, he, he's part of the, the story here uh, for sure. But, you know, it reminds me, um, I, we're talking about all the tweets kind of going around about Dwayne Haskins. One that stood out to me wasn't about Dwayne Haskins per se, but it was about the conversation that we all have, not just media, I think, but just kind of all of us. It was mm-hmm. from uh, another one of my colleagues at The Athletic, Stephen Holder, covers the Colts. Here's what he uh, tweeted. Um, Dwayne Haskins' death is another reminder that we should pay attention to how we talk about athletes, even when they fall short of expectations. We should always remember to treat them with humanity. It's it's just a game. I try to follow this advice, but admittedly fall short sometimes. And I read that, and I definitely rang true to me because we get caught up in the idea of, come on, make, you know, try yeah, or make the shot. You're making, you're making millions of dollars. What do you do? You know, you, it, as if they, you know, as if they owe us something, I don't mean us, the media, but yeah, that's a fan reaction too. like, why aren't you better? We spent a, you know, first round pick on you and all that kind of stuff. The, the human element of that can't ever get lost, which is that there's a really hard job and it is a job. It's a game and they get paid well. And, you know, handsomely to, to deal with all the, the nonsense you have to deal with to be a pro athlete, but at the same time, it can take a toll on you and it's, it's difficult. And if you're young and put in the wrong position, it can be even more difficult. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a fair point, like how you, how you kind of navigate that and make sure it doesn't devolve into the personal, right. That you, you understand you're, you're critiquing or writing about somebody's career. And that's, that comes with some, responsibility but to not carry that over into you know the like some referendum on them as people or anything like that right careers are careers they go different directions some of it is luck some of it is being in, a, in the right place and all that kind of stuff but the type of person you were are you are that's determined by your teammates and your friends and your parents and all the people around you who care about you and uh you know, that again, that came out, that came out in all of the statements across the board about, about Dwayne and about how much people will miss him. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. And sort of the, to sort of connect to this, obviously we're focusing on, on Dwayne Haskins, but part of yesterday's story was how we learned of the information. We learned of it because Adam Schefter, ESPN uh, newsbreaker yeah. put yep. out a tweet telling us that Dwayne Haskins died in a uh what was hit by a, a vehicle that was basically just except that when i as i said before i had to read it three or four times to understand because before that it says that Dwayne haskins had referenced him as the guy who struggled in the nfl with washington and pittsburgh and then we get to um the the the, the tragic news and that i think is sort of to the point of I don't know if that's necessarily where Stephen Holder was going with that, but it is essentially the reaction that in the in this exact moment, that one of the biggest voices out there in sports media, media period, but in sports media and certainly in the NFL, his first thought was to identify, effectively talk about a guy in the in this most horrific of moments as a struggling player as opposed to whatever, just a right. person, a, 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 as if a, a as son- if that was the defining characteristic instead of the human part right that we that we talk about and don't get me wrong i i get 
I could see myself making the you have to be so precise with language in these situations. Sure. You have to like the story does not matter. Nobody cares who broke the, the Dwayne Haskins story. It just doesn't in the end, it doesn't matter. It can't matter. What has to matter is that you get, you are telling the world fans, Ohio state fans, Dwayne Haskins fans, the Bullis community, right? The people who knew him growing up, they're not all going to find out through a phone call. They might find out through that tweet and that tweet has to have some level of empathy and um, humanity to it. And, you know, that's not, regardless, we can quibble about Adam Schefter himself, but I think we're all, it would be naive for anyone in media or anyone with a Twitter account or any kind of following or any kind of readership to think that you can't make the same mistake. And I think it's kind of incumbent on all of us to, to make sure we keep that lesson in mind that you can't just, um, you know, you, you, that little clause is, is not, it, it negates part of who a person was. And in, in that circumstance, it doesn't matter. The clause didn't matter. And, and I think, you know, Adam obviously knew that he took the tweet down, whatever he's going to, face the, the criticism that will inevitably come along with that. And I can't argue with any of that criticism at all, but I think it, for us, it's important that we keep that in mind as well, that that's just not, you know, one, one reporter making a mistake. We we're all capable of making that mistake if we don't keep things in perspective, I think. And you know, that's part of, part of the job. We put things out in public and tell people stories and tell people things and sometimes break news that, we really, really don't want to break. Um, and uh, you got to keep those things. The, the, the human part of that, the human element trumps the story part of it and, and all of that. We always have to keep that in mind. I, you know what? I think you make a great point. And when I was on, I, I mentioned that I was on the radio this morning and we did talk about this in one segment, the, just the, the Schefter component and the media component. And I think you're right. It's easy to just pile on Shafter. It was a ridiculously insane thing to tweet out at that moment. And I'm glad he thought to to take it down, but the damage was done on that front. And we've seen a lot of people kind of go after him and I'm sure they probably will. And I think it's fair, but at the same time, I, it's, it's similar to when I tr hopefully I'm, when I went, when I was looking at Dwayne Haskins and the things that he was doing wrong, I tried as best. And I tried with other guys to go like, look, I, I don't know what I would do in that circumstance. I, I have no idea what I would do if I was a 24 year old or 20, you know, what did we was here when he got here? 22 years old. I don't know how I would react to that. If you all of a sudden give me all the money and all this attention and all these things, or even if I, you know, I don't know what I would do. And if I was, you know, Adam Schefter, a part of our job, there is this element of being first to something. And of course that this is the, you, nobody needs to be first on this story period, but if it's sort of ingrained in you, to do that, maybe you do rush it, and then you say something that's incredibly stupid. So this isn't to give him a pass. It's to say, I don't know what I would do. I tweeted some news out the other day. that the, the, I don't know if anybody saw it, but the first tweet I made, I had to delete it, not for an insensitive thing, because I literally forgot to include the player's name in the tweet. I was in such a rush to get it out. Exactly. And, right. and yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? And the, but the larger point is, in all contexts, whether you're tweeting something out because you're a reporter or you're about to tweet something out because you're just a, a regular person on Twitter or you're about to say something, just maybe stop for 10 seconds. Think about what you're about to say or do, especially if it's going to be harmful or negative or hurt somebody or 
whatever because what, yeah what, i always tell our, our writers that ben take a beat right take a breath before you rush something out or before you you know then we're getting away from the the haskins element here but it just before you tweet something that you know just a thought that pops into your head maybe pull back on it and think about it real quick and don't don't always uh don't always just push something out you know that it's as i said that's a lesson for all of us it's not on one reporter or anyone it's just anyone with the responsibility of having a people have some element of of care about what they write or say um make sure you're doing justice to the people you're you're talking about and i think it is a good point about putting yourself in position especially it, it's different if someone does something you know criminal right if there's a charge or somebody's being accused of something really really serious that's that's a different level uh, but when you're being judged just on your play or your performance or, you know, oh, does he does he work hard at this? Nothing to do with Haskins, but does he work hard enough or is he, you know, the, the normal criticism that comes of any any pro athlete or even college athlete to that to that matter for that matter, um, you know, to it is important to put yourself in there in their shoes and kind of see like, you know, get get all sides of that and figure out why things are happening and, you know, not just throw out random opinions that aren't informed and don't, don't have multiple sides and some nuance to it. Right. There's always, there's always enough nuance to go around. And I definitely think sometimes in our business, especially people will, uh, will lose sight of that sometimes. And, you know, people can pay a price for that in terms of reputation or whatever, whatever it would be. So, you know, yeah. No, I, that's a, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, all right. Well, more, like I said, the <coughs> goes without saying, you know, prayers with his family, his friends, his teammates, uh, his, co- his former coaches, um, you know, fans of the team. I was, uh, when I did the radio today, the, uh, the radio producer, producer, uh, Linnell, I'm not sure how old he is, but he's a young guy in his twenties. And before the show started, he was telling me how much this hurt him because it was basically a guy in the same age. And it reminded me of when Len Bias died. And I was relating it to that. And because Len Bias is a few years older than me, but not a lot older than me. And it was just, I could not believe it. It, it was like maybe the first, it's one thing like when you know, you know, the 80 year old aunt dies. It's another thing when it's somebody in the prime of their life, you're like, what? This is not how, this is not how this story is supposed to go. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad. And, and again, I, you know, I, I obviously feel for, for all the people out there and, you know, my, my, my best to everybody. Um, Last thing I just want to say on this, this is just sort of broad. It is on, you know, these life can turn on a dime. It always, the moment that always is so jarring to me is when we go from talking about somebody is to was that the moment that we have to talk about them in past tense. I mean, it's really like, you know, Friday, if we were saying Dwayne Haskins is this, and then 24 hours later, Dwayne Haskins was that it is. I mean, it, it, the it is, speed, social media even speeds that up. And there's like, he, he had an Instagram story out, right. From like, you could have watched it from 12 hours before 10 hours before, right. Like he was, you know, kind of hanging out with his Steelers teammates and those guys I know were in, I think they were in Boca, right. If I have the story correct yeah. and mm-hmm. work doing off season workouts and stuff. So there's a group of guys together, just hanging out in Florida, trying to 
trying to get better in the off season and, and being around each other and building some of that, maybe team camaraderie and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, and putting out social media posts, one minute, one hour and 12 hours later, they're not with us anymore. Like the speed of that is again, we, we started this conversation with like trying to come to grips with losing a person that fast, especially again, as you said, someone that young, someone with that much potential and future and growth and all that, all that, all that is in front of you when you are 24 years old and to have that just abruptly end is, uh, not just shocking, but, but it, it leaves you reeling for a couple of days, whether you knew the guy really, really well, or whether, you know, you came in contact with him occasionally or whether you were just a fan and didn't know him at all, but admired his, his game. I think everyone's kind of in that same position of, of wondering, you know, asking yourself why and all that stuff. And it's, uh, I don't know that anytime soon we'll have, we'll have a good, answer there that that gives you closure it's um that's part of the grief process right for and and certainly for his family and his sister and his mom and dad and all the people you think about that were close with him will have to to spend the next months and years grappling with that question you know far more even than than certainly we would or or fans would so just uh just a tough day all all the way around yesterday Absolutely. Uh, Brian, I really appreciate it. I told you I was going to talk about Dwayne here and I really didn't want to just do it by myself. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on to, to, to discuss it. Yeah. A tough day for everybody involved. And um, I don't know what else to say other than my best to the family and friends and his teammates. And, you know, obviously, you know, he won't be forgotten and, uh, you know, hope for, prayers to everybody out there. Uh, Brian, no thanks, doubt. man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you. All right, uh, just before we sign off, uh, quick news. Washington did make a move. They re-signed kicker Joey Sly. Uh, source confirmed that. Actually, the team confirmed it, uh, announced it as well. Uh, source confirmed two years, $2 million in guarantees with the upside of roughly $5 million. Um, seemed like a pretty obvious situation that they were going to keep him. They had already tendered. He was a restricted free agent. They still have Brian Johnson here, who was the replacement when Sly suffered a hamstring injury in that uh, win over Seattle. But Sly retook the job. He He's the one getting the guaranteed money. He's going to have the leg up in a potential kicking competition. Joey Sly was really good for Washington after they were having a lot of struggles at that spot. He made all 12 of his attempts. Strong on kickoffs. Again, seemed like a no-brainer. You know, uh, Dustin Hopkins, longtime kicker here. It was starting to feel wobbly for sure. You know, over the last couple of years with him, they finally made that move. They went to Chris Blewett. That obviously did not work out. And Joey Sly gave them a lot of confidence at that spot. So there's another player for, back for Washington. Uh, kickers are always important. You know, the, 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 it's one of those things we don't pay. We don't think too much about it until everything starts to go wrong as it did at points last year. Anyway, Joey Sly is back to your deal for the Washington Commanders. All right. Many thanks to Eric Edholm and Brian McNally for their time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Busy time ahead. We've got a lot to get to over the next couple of weeks, the draft, the offseason. How do we project this team going forward? Um, and just lastly, though, uh, you know, look, uh, 
you know, be, I, you know, if, if you've got something to say to somebody that you want somebody to know what, what, what they mean to you, I would just say, go ahead and, and, and do that. Simple as that. I, it's, it's not always that simple to do it. And it's often something we think, eh, you know, <laughs> deal with it later. I won't do it or whatever, but life is fragile and, and life can be short. And, you know, just don't put off today what you might want to say, because you never know tomorrow is not promised to any of us. All right. That's it. Uh, ben Standick signing off. Until next time.